0: senor. Deep within the bowels of the Armstrong and Getty Antormation Complex, this is the Armstrong and Getty Show for this Monday, the 14th of February, the year of our Lord, 2022. Jack is off today, although I think he is checking in later. No, he's not hungover. He doesn't drink. It's not a Super Bowl hangover. He's taking his boys uh, skiing slash snowboarding because they have a day off of school, which I think is... Absolutely wonderful. Speaking of wonderful, oh man, do we have some good stuff to talk about today. A handful of just great guests dealing with the the big issues of our time, including David Drucker talking about some uh, political earthquakes soon to come. Going to be talking to the fabulous Josh Rogan of the Washington Post about the Beijing Olympics and the communist Chinese and the rest of it. Ah, uh, this morning. Oh, I forgot to mention. This morning we're toot- uh, tootling under the managers We're uh, we're laboring under the tutelage of uh, honorary general manager, the mighty Rams of Los Angeles. Also, John Durham, as in the John Durham probe. Uh huh. Really? Seriously? This is not you know page nine on the washington examiner significant this is big time hillary and shackles significant so stay with us for that hillary just when people are starting to talk about i don't know hillary 2024 people are starting to take it seriously yeah hillary jail what wasn't that what was the slogan 2016 hillary for prison her up well yeah yeah I remember the locker up chant Michael it's just there was like a funny uh, meme it was it was ta- a takeoff of her campaign uh, uh like signs or her her logo Hillary for prison and uh, that may actually be happening but uh, before we dive any further into that that's right Hillary that's right get used to orange it's the new black darling before we get into that more heavily let's uh, begin the show officially now according to FCC rules and regulations at Mark. Burrow trying to keep it going. Oh, gets spun down. Gets it away. And incomplete. It looked like P. Ron might have had a shot to make the grab, but the Rams now running down to celebrate with a defensive play. So certainly the Durham stuff is of more significance than the Super Bowl, but if we're not going to recap the Super Bowl this morning, when would we? So just a couple of thoughts briefly. Number one, pretty damn good game. Rams fans, thrilled, obviously. First uh, championship since they returned to L.A. Uh, Second, I believe, in franchise history, if you're into franchises. Uh, Interesting experience. I didn't have a huge rooting interest in the game, and I got into one of those uh, pools where you get a square, and and you buy the square, and then they randomly assign numbers to the square. And uh, Judy and I, we won the first quarter. We had the right, uh, you know, combination of numbers and it was a few bucks. I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty great, but from with the entire game, with the exception of a couple of hardcore Rams fans and one guy who grew up in Cincinnati, everybody was just like shouting out what combination of scores they wanted to see so they could win the pool. Nobody cared about the game per se it was just it was like it, being in Vegas you, you know calling out for the roulette wheel they hit the the 17 or or what have you um so that was kind of funny also there was way too much eating and drinking good lord uh i know i'm not alone in that sentiment when michael when will they put the super bowl on, on saturday. saturday right super bowl saturday has every bit the ring as super bowl sunday I don't care what happens in the regular season. It just uh, uh, somebody needs a workplace or workday or or somebody needs to uh, do one of those phony studies where they throw throw around enormous numbers where they say uh, if the Super Bowl were held on Saturday, America would gain $1.3 trillion in productivity uh, the Monday after the Super Bowl. You know, it's probably not that much, but it would certainly help. Uh, So anyway... Uh, and my own, uh, the only other real thought uh, on the Super Bowl itself, oh, two things, two things, working up to the most important one, uh, the whole Super Bowl ad thing has absolutely vaulted over the shark, as they say, and it became a tail wagging the dog deal where... You know, companies would spend a lot of money and pour the, the greatest creative energies they could generate into these uh, wonderful, hilarious, innovative, touching ads, whatever. People started to notice that. And, you know, everybody talked about how much money they spent and, and that sort of thing. But everybody would be watching commercials that they, well, it's as funny as any show on TV. Oh my God, it's beautifully produced. Blah, blah, blah. And so America started to pay attention to the, the Super Bowl commercials. And they'd be ranked on the ad meter and USA Today and have pictures and everything. And the uh, people paid attention. At this point, I think the tail is wagging the dog. Uh, there was some good stuff. I've watched some. It was tough to hear. I was at a party. Um, it was tough for me to hear anything, but I watched a bunch uh, before the show. And it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's okay. It's a pretty good commercial. That makes me want to drink beer. Of course, I woke up wanting to drink beer. Um, but so uh, there are a couple we might touch on, but we're not going to talk about it much because you know, meh. Nah. No, no more tail wagging the dog. Uh, And and the most important observation about the Super Bowl, of all, in a state, in a county, in a stadium, where not only were N95 masks or the show vaccine or whatever uh, required, masks totally required, masks left on the seat for you, okay? There might have been five people in the entire stadium wearing masks. Maybe. I didn't see them. I'm just allowing that it is possible that they were. The mandates are completely phony. Nobody follows them, including the politicians who passed them. I'll bet L.A.'s, uh, you know, Zaret of health, Barbara Ferrer, was wearing her mask because she's a nut job. But nobody else was. But the little kids are all going to march off to school in their masks, in their useless masks, reminding you that for the umpteenth time, and anybody with any sense agrees with this, including mask skeptics, an N95 or KN95 mask worn properly fitted properly and thrown away after every use aha aha a lot of us think yeah i got a pretty good mask i'm doing the right thing but you got to chuck it it, uh, it it protects the user pretty well if you need the protection but the idea that kids in loose fitting cloth ma- cloth masks or surgical masks or whatever wearing it around their chin blowing the sneezing and all that's not doing anybody any good and it's hurting the kids So how you could, in in good conscience and even like a, a decent dog's intelligence, watch the Super Bowl and then say, yes, but the children do need to march off to school, even though they are practically impregnable from the COVID. I just, enough said, enough said. Organize a walkout if you can. Send your kid to school. Organize a bunch of parents. Send 150 kids to school without the masks on. It's time to end this idiocy, please. No outbreaks of, of COVID in schools that that have been documented uh, from from student to teacher. And when the kids get the sniffles for a few days, they're fine anyway. So, okay, enough said on that. Have uh, freedom loving quarter of the day mailbag coming up. We're going to talk to David Drucker, and uh, and this hour we will give you the the broad outlines of what is seriously a huge development in the Trump-Russia collusion story. Except the collusion wasn't Trump. The collusion was on the other side, and it's coming out more and more, and there could be a lot of people indicted. So stay with us. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yeah, and the halftime show. Uh, you know, it wasn't for me. You know, if you're a big hip-hop fan in the 90s, it was probably great to see your the hippity-hop, the rap music, on the big stage. Kind of a, uh, I don't know, a rubber stamp of, yes, this is part of American culture, I guess. Um... What's with the crank grabbing? Can we not grab at our genitals while we perform? What What is that? Can we stop with that Snoop? Snoopy dog? Who I'm told by a friend in the music business is utterly irrelevant in terms of ticket sales and like actual. But to like a suburban white America, he's. Something, I guess. I don't know. I'm confused by the whole thing. Uh, You know, all the guys in the prison clothes and in the crotch grabbing. I didn't need it, but I don't, you know, again, I don't care. Super Bowl halftime show. Who needs that? If I want to see Dr. Dre in his prime, hours and hours of it on YouTube, you know, or or any of those people jumping around lip syncing in a football stadium, I don't know. If if you dug it, great. That's no skin off my nose, right? Here's your freedom, love, and quote of the day. This is from John Adams, founding papa. Did important work financing the revolution by uh, working in France and that sort of thing. Uh, Second president of the United States, one-termer. Facts are stubborn things, he said, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. See, that is inconvenient, Johnny boy. Big John. He was fat before fat was in. Really inconvenient to agree that there is a set of facts. And so, if you can't get your philosophy to overcome inconvenient facts, if what you're saying is crazy and doesn't make sense, for instance, what do you do with those facts? You invent something called my truth. This is my truth. There's not the truth, there's my truth. So facts are no longer relevant. and It just becomes a question of who's more vicious about getting people tossed out of their jobs and schools and the rest of it. Sound familiar? Yeah, I'll bet. Mailbag. You can email us anytime, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Maybe to weigh in with an opinion, an experience, you want to send something along we ought to be talking about. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Yeah, there are a couple of comments about these Super Bowl commercials. Blake writes, Sirs, you are the only two celebrities that did not have a spot during the Super Bowl. Dennis Rodman? I missed uh, Rodman's spot. My almost 20-year-old kids did not have a clue who he was. Dennis did look good. Probably all the caviar and fine wines with Kim Jong-un in North Korea. That could be. I missed the great former Piston and Bowl. And better of Madonna. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Guys, it's a good thing. Uh, it was a good game. Super Bowl commercials have jumped the shark. And this can't be America. There was not one beer commercial all game long. Is that right? Didn't Bud have a commercial in there at some point? Or they, they pitched their, uh, their, their fizzy uh, alcohol waters instead. I'm pretty sure I saw a, uh, the, you know, the, what do you call them? The seltzers, the hard seltzers. Um, anyway, they had one with the Clydesdale. Uh, did they? That's right. Yeah, I saw the, the horse. It looked uh, touching or something. Ah, bah, 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 bah. ah, yeah, love this from series of numbers. Uh, watching NBC's Super Bowl pregame show showing off beautiful Southern California, Venice, Venice Beach, Santa Monica Pier. Astounding. How there's not one tent, one bum, not one junkie in sight. All the local housing must have suddenly become affordable, eh? Wow, great note, great note, great sarcasm. No, it's policy. And the policy was, because the Super Bowl was in town, junkies can't ruin the neighborhoods that the, that the TV cameras want to show. Now, the minute the TV cameras pick up and move on down the road, we'll let the junkies ruin your neighborhood again. So screw you residents and taxpayers. You're nothing. You're nobody. Yeah. Now, the national TV audience, that, that could impact tourism, right? Once people have bought the ticket and they've landed at LAX and they're on Venice Pier saying, stay close, honey, kids, stay very close to me. I, I got a bad feeling about this. And, and they're beset by junkies on all sides. Their money's already spent. They've already booked a hotel. The hotel taxes are going to pour in no matter how many times they're assaulted or accosted or step in human poo or whatever. So the important thing is to get the suckers hooked on the TV. Then they get to L.A. slash San Francisco slash Portland slash Seattle slash Boise increasingly or Austin or you name it, St. Louis. Uh, once they get there, then they're screwed. Anyway, moving along. Uh, Let's see, Scott from the Free State of Montana writes, "Oh, Jack was talking about how presidents make promises to fix stuff they have no way of fixing. Uh, Jack, in a moment of usual Jack idiocy, uh, that is unfair. Unfair, especially on a day he's not here, Scott. Uh, He referred to the continued high cost of oil and gasoline as one of those things. Bull spit. You disappoint me by not suggesting that the cost of oil and gasoline is one of the only things he could fix. That bumbling jackass of an empty suit and head only has to restore oil production in the U.S. and the Keystone Pipeline. Come on! How could that not be mentioned? I thought I did mention it like seconds later that we were uh, self-sufficient. We were energy self-sufficient until about a year ago. Um, At any rate, it's a good point and well worth making. We could be energy self-sufficient again, working like crazy, with the genius and energy that is the United States to work toward green energy solutions. Why would we be a slave to Russia and the Saudis and, and all the other third world dictating garbage fest asshole countries that produce oil while we're working toward green energy? We could have it on both ends. We could be self-sufficient. I agree completely. A little perspective, writes Joe, the U.S. Marine in the U.K. For perspective on uh, the kids and masks in school, the U.K. has stopped with COVID measures. My children have been in school the whole time, no mask on children. Adults had masks when England got rid of the mandate, masks came off. Teachers have come and gone the last couple of weeks as they each got COVID, go home a couple of days, come back when they recovered. No big deal. No masks on the kids. No masks. We're going to talk to David Drucker in a moment or two about the state of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. If you can't hang around or if you ever miss a chunk of the show, grab it via podcast later at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty
1: Show.
0: Welcome, friends. Glad you're here. In the next half hour or so, we will hit hard the State of the Durham investigation, which, believe it or not, is reputed to be yielding significant fruit. After all this time and, and and we're all so used to investigations being launched and grinding along and then you really don't hear anything and they kinda of go away and now I think this one actually is significant. We'll we'll hit that a little bit later on. But first conversation with David Drucker of the Washington Examiner. He's the senior political correspondent of that fine publication. Speaking of fine publications, David's the author of In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for Twenty Twenty Four and the Future of the GOP. David, how are you, sir?
1: I'm great. Terrific.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's good to talk to you. So uh, speaking of in Trump's shadow and the state of the GOP, I actually want to take a look uh, if you will, at both parties and the, the conflicts, the divisions therein. But we can start on the Republican side. I mean, uh, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois recently censured by the RNC. Mitch McConnell shoots back that that's idiotic and useless and divisive and and the rest of it. Uh, what's, the, uh, what's the state of the Republican Party at this point from your perch there in the Capitol?
1: Well, look, it depends on how you want to look at the party. I mean, the party is on track for... Uh, big gains in the 2022 midterm elections um i think they're they're on track to win control of the house and senate and possibly by big margins so when you want to look at win loss and judge a party's political viability that way which seems to make sense to most people <laughs> <including> right <me. laughs> uh you know they're they're in pretty good shape um when you look at the evolving nature of the republican party when you look at the party long term there are some more uncertainties out there obviously the party continues to realign somewhat, and you have this ongoing battle between the traditional conservatives and the conservative populace in the party. I think uh, former President Donald Trump's fixation on the 2020 elections long-term is not helpful to the party, uh, and those could have consequences in 2024, uh, especially if Republicans do well in 2022. They're you know, all of a sudden, and this is a problem you want, of course, but you're gonna, they're going to share responsibility for governing. Um, we've seen past Democratic presidents get repudiated in midterms and then recover in their re-election bids, uh, and we've seen Republicans suffer in midterm in, in presidential or midterm elections and then recover two years later. So uh, it's, it, it, by every measure that matters in the moment, Republicans are doing very well. Their fundraising is up. Uh, their political organization is doing well. When you look at some of these longer-term trends, uh, whether the party is getting along, whether they're willing to cooperate with each other to form a majority coalition in a national election, that still remains to be seen, and it is a concern among some Republicans I talk to, and I think they're right to be concerned about it. But this is not um, an either-or scenario, nor is it uh, remotely all doom and gloom.
0: You know I'm ambivalent about a lot of this stuff as a conservative um I just you know I have mixed feelings on a lot of it but just, what do you think of this notion that and and well Trump's fixation on the 2020 election I think is making him less relevant going forward if if Trump were were focused hard focused on inflation uh, the border people's living conditions you know uh, dinner table issues um and not obsessing over the 2020 election his shadow would be looming even more over the republican party his influence i think would have grown
1: well you know when i i asked Trump about this when i interviewed him last year for in trump shadow and i asked him if he thought his his you know decision to constantly beat the bush about the you know what he thinks happened in 2020 I said, you know, doesn't it make it harder for your party to win control of the House and Senate in midterm elections? Now, this was before President Biden's approval numbers had dropped and things looked so good for Republicans. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, maybe so, (laughs) but I don't really care. And then he also said, well, I think this will help energize our base because that's what they're interested in. So you raised a really good question. What I would say about this is that there are a number of Republican primaries in big states in Senate races, never mind House races, and some governor's races where they all where they agree with trump these uh, primary candidates and won't say otherwise and maybe they secretly disagree with him but refuse to say it mm-hmm. and if you end up with nominees in some of these key races with candidates who also want to talk about you know an election being stolen despite um an incredible lack of evidence to that effect then this issue is not going to go away. Now, in many of these states, I still think the Republican nominee wins anyway. I mean, I tend to think that whoever wins Ohio, and just about all of them say Trump's right, the election was stolen, the nominee in the Ohio Senate race is going to win. The nominee in the North Carolina Senate race is likely to win. The nominee in the Pennsylvania Senate race is likely to win. So it's not going to hurt in the near term, but it is going to keep alive this notion in the party Um that Trump is right, and then of course you have voters who want to focus on the future. Given how the nature of how much trouble the Democrats are in, and given that they're in charge in Washington, I don't think this kind of this kind of conversation is going to hurt Republicans or the party. I think they're still, given the Democrats' super thin margins in the House and Senate and everything else, Republicans are still likely to have a really good election, which of course is going to make them think that, that, that there's no problem in talking about a stolen election. Uh, that wasn't stolen. And, and that's why I say it possibly becomes a problem in 2024.
0: David Drucker of the Washington Examiner on the line. One more question about uh, the Republicans before we move across the aisle. Uh, it seems to us that there are a lot of really interesting and encouraging trends for the Republican Party. Uh, uh, more folks of color, more working class people are moving the Republican way. And it feels like the Democrats are becoming the party of the suburban, social degree-holding elites of America. To what extent is that true?
1: Well, uh, it, it's... <laughs> I think that the signs are there that this is happening. Before I make blanket predictions, I like to see how things play out over time. But we have seen Republicans make gains with Hispanic voters. For instance, Donald Trump won um, a a county along the Mexican border in Texas that Republicans have not captured in a presidential race in 100 years. And I think what this trend is about is as the Republican Party, at least for the time being, becomes more of a working-class party, where more of its voters tend to be uh, blue collar um, uh, workers. Well, there are lots of Hispanics and lots of um, voters that are not white, that are a part of the working class, that have long seen the Democrats as the party of the working class, and now um, believe that the Republicans are the party of the working class, both from an economic standpoint and from a cultural standpoint. And by the same token, we have seen some suburban voters um, we've seen some evidence of this: some sort of white-collar suburban voters of both of you know both of of, of, of all races, uh, but but you know particularly these white suburban white-collar um, workers who had long voted Republican finding more cultural affinity with the Democrats. So we've seen some of this realignment. It's all of these things are sort of dependent on who the next Republican nominee is in 24, what kind of coalition they're able to cement, what the economic and, and Geopolitical uh, conditions in the country and the world are, and how you know the the two nominees position their parties in that contest, but the signs are definitely there that this is beginning to happen um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens not so much in midterm elections because we 've seen non white voters flock to Republicans in greater degree in midterm elections when Democrats sure. are in trouble, okay. but how but, but it'll be more interesting to see if we see a continuation of what we saw in 20 happen again in 24.
0: Okay, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I, I, one the thing we've talked about a lot around here is to, to what extent do you think the Democratic Party is being led by the woke energy on Twitter? and among congressional staffers, and Twitter is not America, to what extent do you think they're being, you know, the dog of the Democratic Party is being wagged by the tail?
1: Or, or does the woke left have that much heft? Well, look, I think, I, I think there is some validity to this. Both parties, as polarization has increased over the past two decades, have been led or influenced more by their base, of committed voters, right? You know, we've seen in covering the Republican party over 20 years, the influence that the Republican base often has, the committed conservatives often have in in, in the party in part because in house races where most districts are drawn to elect one or the other party, it's the primary that really counts. And if you sure. don't play to your primary audience, you don't get to the general election. Where you're going to win easily and so i think that what we're seeing in the democratic party now is something we've seen for years in the republican party and they are being influenced to a huge degree by the far left flank of their party and i think we've seen this most notably uh, when it comes to um, pandemic policy coming out of the white house you know joe biden can't win in this regard Uh, in Republicans certainly, but even, uh, but especially independents really want to shift to a posture of policy on the pandemic that, that recognizes or believes that the coronavirus is just not going anywhere, uh, for the foreseeable future and, and get us back to a normal footing, just doing, living like we did before the pandemic, but taking, you know, precautions as they are necessary. Hallelujah. Our left wing and the Democratic base of the, Democratic Party, doesn't think Joe Biden's doing enough to protect against the coronavirus. They want stricter mandates on vaccines, more mandates on vaccines, stricter and more mandates on mask wearing and and the like. And that belief on the far left flank of the party is influencing how many Democrats in Washington, at least, are reacting to the pandemic, both politically and from a policy standpoint, And it's far different than what you're seeing from center-left Democrats and independents who may tend to vote Democrat. And we've seen you know, that Democratic governors around the country are starting to react to the broader number of Democratic voters in their states rather than uh, the most committed liberals. But it is definitely having an impact. And you're right when you point out that Twitter is not real life, neither on the right or the left. And when politicians cater to Twitter – they end up in trouble with a broader number of voters. They need to win reelection.
0: Well, and your point about COVID policy is a great one. It's such a such a strange chapter of American history we're all living through. I'd like to write the book "Culture and COVID" if I only had the time. But um, let's remember, Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia. Not so much because the the critical race theory stuff that got so much attention. Purely. Because he ran on, get the kids back in school. The kids need to be in school. And that hardcore left flank of the Democratic Party is just have four-year-olds in masks and and send everybody home the minute anybody gets COVID and... Uh, That is just absolute electoral poison, I think, uh, to an extent that the mainstream media does not adequately reflect. But uh, David Drucker, the Washington Examiner. David, I wish we could talk all day, but I'm afraid we're up against a break. But it's great to talk to you. Good luck with the book, In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. Yep, good to talk. Uh, More to come. The Durham investigation. Serious, high-level flack is about to hit the Hillary campaign from 2016. Evil doing the details next.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
0: The Armstrong and Getty Show. Let's be clear, the science that drove what happened this week was political science. And, and what drove this was politics. They're seeing how unpopular it is, and they're moving away from it. That's the nature of our system. Chris Christie talking about mask mandates. Uh, he could have gone into a little detail. The reason they're so unpopular is because everybody is recognizing the science. The lockdowns didn't work. The masking is next to useless. The masking of children is ridiculous. Oh, and uh, we've buried the lead today. Our lead story should have been Mayor Gil Garcetti of Los Angeles able to hold breath through entire Super Bowl. It's really a miraculous achievement as he was seen uh, maskless on a number of occasions, all sorts of memes on the Internet, etc. But I promised you this. So here it is. is. Listen as carefully as you can we're building up to the the main dealio here. Former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe met with Special Counsel John Durham. Now Durham was the guy is the guy looking into the origins of the Trump Russian collusion story and investigation, how that got started and whether laws were broken. So Ratcliffe, the DNI Met with John Durham on more than one occasion and told him that there was evidence in intelligence to support the indictments of multiple people in his investigation into the origins of the Trump Russia probe. Sources told Fox News. Now, whenever it's sources and it's anonymous and all, you gotta just wait to see if it bears out. But here's the specific. And this was known late last week and we touched on it briefly. But uh, Durham's latest filing alleged that lawyers from Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016 had paid hackers to infiltrate or hack servers belonging to Trump Tower, Trump's apartment and the White House in order to establish an inference and narrative to bring federal government agencies linking Donald Trump to Russia. Long story short, Hillary's campaign paid hackers to hack into Trump's computers, including in the White House, simultaneously while they were tweeting fake stories about a secret Trump server that was connected to a Russian bank. None of it was true. None of it. The indictment of that Clinton lawyer a while back, you may recall, um... He, what he was indicted for was lying to the FBI. He said he wasn't working for any client when he did X, Y, and Z. Turns out he was being paid by the Clinton campaign to do what he was doing. And that was the big lie. So they had him, you know, chocolate all over face next to the cookie jar, having uh, done some of the things he, he'd done, hired various people, uh, hackers, et cetera, and, and And he was trying to deny that it went up the chain to the clinton campaign but the fbi uh, and durham saw through that and and now they know that they were in league uh the sources point to one key piece of declassified intelligence which fox news first reported in october of 2020 revealing that intelligence community officials within the cia forwarded an investigative referral on hillary clinton purportedly approving a quote plan concerning u.s presidential candidate donald trump and russian hackers Hampering U.S. elections as a means of distracting the public from her use of a private email server. So again, this is from the CIA, allegedly saying that Hillary Hillary's campaign launched the hack to cover up the email thing or to distract from it. Sources told Fox News that the CIA memo, also known as a counterintelligence operational lead, was properly forwarded to the FBI into the attention of them FBI Director. Oh boy, James Comey, and then Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence. Oh boy, Peter Strzok. The following uh, blah 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 blah. So, where Durham is in this investigation, and how close he is to additional. Uh, indictments, Uh, it's hard to say. He is the tightest chip in D.C. But Fox has not obtained evidence to suggest the FBI opened an investigation into Hillary's plan per the CIA referral. So, yeah, try not to drop that of a fatal heart attack. It looks like the CIA referred it to the FBI and Comey and Strzok said, yeah, we're not that interested in it. Meanwhile, Ratcliffe, the former DNI, had also declassified documents that revealed former CIA director John Brennan briefed Obama on Hillary Clinton's purported, quote, proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian security service. Again, that's a declassified CIA document. We're getting additional insights into Russian activities from a redacted name, Brennan's Declassified Notes, read... Uh the alleged approval by Hillary Clinton a proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by the Russian Security Service. Uh by the way, that national security uh official is almost certainly Jake Sullivan, who you see on the TV jabbering on behalf of the Biden administration, for instance, defending their brilliant evacuation from Afghanistan, etc. So, boy, the, uh, the pot's starting to boil. What comes out is not clear, but it is definitely boiling. If you miss any chunk of the show, grab the podcast later. We make it available. Armstrong and Getty.